0: Class at school, and uh, I, I don't know, Donald. Did you pick the hardest piece, or did she pick the hardest piece? That the... <laughs> I also want to thank Anne. Uh, if, if you listened, there was a lot of music going on in that piece. And um, uh, but it's a Beethoven piece. It's a fabulous piece of praise to our Holy God. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter twelve. We're doing just one verse, but that one verse is really an extension of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We're doing verse 2. It's an extension of verse 1, which is really an extension of chapter 11. But we're not going to read all of that. We'll just stick with the the 1, and I'll refer back and forth to it. So Hebrews chapter 12, now we'll read verse 2, so let's pray. Lord, as we come to you today, we might understand what we are called to fix our eyes upon. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to this passage. Come and fill us with your spirit that he may provide us understanding and insight. Lord, quiet the voices of the weak. Put aside those stresses in our lives those things that have taken our attention, perhaps even the stresses of this morning before we got here. Lord, calm us, make us attentive, that we might understand what and whom we are to have faith in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's inspired word for us today. Now, let's say that you're traveling to a large city. Uh, We'll put it in New York. Um, You go to a building, and you go to the elevator, and you hit the button, and you and eight other people walk onto the elevator, and you hit floor 78, because that's where you have business. And up you go. What do you think about in that time? Do you think about the fact that you're in a steel box, whizzing your way up hundreds of feet into the air, suspended by only one or two cables? Do you look at the sign that says, capacity, 2,500 pounds, and you look around and then you say, I wonder how much they ate for breakfast. Is that, uh, you know, how much did I eat? Okay, Are we over over the limit? Perhaps, you know, at that point you have to decide what you're going to put your faith in. You put your faith in Otis the manufacturer of the elevator? Do you put your faith in the cable? Do you put your faith in that little uh, sticker, inspection sticker that's stuffed in the envelope on the thing and it says, um, you know, uh, Bubba inspected this and thought it was okay? Uh, You fill it up and get on. You know, as you're whisking your way up, your stomach is still down in the lobby and you're thinking, oh, no. Now, all of a sudden, you'll probably never get on the elevator again and, and go... We go. Well, how many people are on here? You know. How is this safe? Okay. The question at that point is: When? What do you put your faith in? What do you put your faith in? Let's make it a little bit different. Maybe a little bit more uh, applicable to today. Um, you go home, and you get on your computer, and you invest that ten thousand dollars that uh, your great, uh, dearly departed aunt left you because you were her favorite nephew or niece. And you pick uh, three stocks that are solid, a long-term investment, because Dad always said, pick the best company and invest for the long term. What do you put your faith in? Is it the little email response that you get back that said, you are now the proud owner of a 1,000 shares valued at $10 each, minus the uh, fee, Uh, Are you putting your faith in the fact that dad said invest in this and that's what he said, so that's what I do? Do you put your faith in uh, the board of directors that gathers and makes these decisions with your money for the benefit of the company, uh, structural, uh, marketing, all those things, where is it that you put your faith? Now our faith should be in things that are solid, unmovable, constant, You, you fill in the blank. Okay. The opinion of our neighbors, maybe the views of our employer, our 401k, the strength of my own body, the wisdom of my own thoughts. These are things that will fail us. These are things that will come and go. These are things that are not constant, not eternal. They shouldn't form the basis on which to believe. Looking to things such as these will result basically in a lock, lack of confidence or a loss of confidence when they do fail. Faith is about trust, about trusting to such an extent that we go and do things that those who do not have that faith look at us like we are out of our minds. But yet because of faith, we call to go and do those things. Todd Luke leaves a nice law firm job in Chicago and goes to a place where they they have dirt floors. And I won't tell you any of their where they go to the bathroom and things like that down there, okay? But why leave there? Because faith, because the Lord calls him to go and to serve. And then he uses him in a powerful way to change many lives. Obedience is involved. You act in faith, you act in confidence because you have faith. But only if what you have faith in is unmoving, is, is solid, it's eternal. We find in our passage today, verse 2, Fixing our eyes on Jesus. If you have your own Bible, it may say looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. This is the only place in the New Testament that this word is used. And literally it means looking off. Looking away from other objects, from anything else, and fixing your eyes upon one individual object. Let's look at it this way. Men, have you ever been in a restaurant where it's just you and your wife, you've got the babysitter, you've been looking forward to this night out, and there you are at dinner, and all of a sudden your wife says, I, I can't believe that dress that that woman has on. It's hardly covering anything. And you say, what woman? Okay. Because your eyes have been so fixated upon her. You're laughing. Huh? Doesn't that happen in, in your life? Or ladies, you go to the playground, you've got four kids, and... and, and you, there must be 25 or 30 other children there, but you don't know what they look like. You don't know what they're doing because your eyes are focused on your four children. You know exactly what they're doing. You know exactly where they are. See, that's what we're talking about here. Looking away from everything else, putting aside everything else, and fixing your gaze upon one thing and one thing alone and what we are called to look upon is a person it is not a doctrine it's not an abstract theological doctrine it's not a self-help teaching it's not a power thought somebody used that word this week to me man have you had a power thought this week and, and I saw I had bad breakfast maybe that was it I, I don't know okay a power thought I, I still can't define it but I put it in we shouldn't look at anything other than upon Jesus. Our Savior. That is what we are called to have faith in. Because of what he has done. His holy life, his perseverance, what he faced, the trials that he overcame. All of those things demonstrate to us that our eyes should be fixated and fixed upon our Lord and Savior. Faith in Christ involves casting off everything else in our lives. Casting off those things. It's as if you can look back in your life and see the trail of things in your past that you have cast off. Now, that casting off doesn't come all at once, but it comes whenever we recognize that whatever we are hanging on to, whatever is hanging on to us, we need to get rid of. It would be like you come in the house and your clothes are on fire, and you take your coat off and you take your shoes off, and, and you can look back and see that those things were hindering you, those things were a danger to you, and you cast them off. Okay? That's what our life should be. Look back and see, what have you gotten rid of in your life that hindered your fixation on Christ? That hindered your looking unto him? What were those things that caused you to look off to other things and take your eyes off of Christ? They have to be discarded. St. Anselm, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury a thousand years ago, had directions for the visitation of the sick. So remember this, whenever you go and you visit somebody who is sick, these are wise words. Place your trust in no other thing. Commit yourself wholly to the death of Christ. Wrap yourself wholly in his death. And if God would judge you, say, Lord, I place the death of our Lord Jesus Christ between me and your judgment. And if he should say to you that you are a sinner, say, I place the death of our Lord Jesus Christ between me and my sins. If he shall say to you that you deserve damnation, say, Lord, I put the death of our Lord Jesus Christ between you and all my sins. I rely completely and totally upon his merit and his alone. We fix our eyes on that which is immovable. We put our faith in that which is eternal. Now why, with all the things that we can put our faith in, with all the things that we can trust, why is it that we should put our faith in Jesus Christ? Why should we look unto him? Well, it makes very clear because he is the author and perfecter of faith. Now, the New American, which is the, the Pew Bible, does a great job of this. Um, often you will find translations that say he is the author and perfecter of our faith. In reality, it is a definitive word here. And it's just not referring to our faith. It is referring to the faith. It is exclusive of anything else. This is the correct faith. I was at a uh, presbytery meeting this week in Houston, Texas. Went down, did a presentation on the new wineskins, talked about what we're doing, about the exciting ministries that are going on. And over the course of the time, I I was talking to this guy that I hadn't met before, and we were talking about salvation and and what is salvation. And he has a great view of salvation, except for this nagging doubt in his mind that perhaps when the non-believer dies, maybe there's another chance and and uh i said man where you get an idea like that huh? <laughs> i because i've heard that before i said do you have any evidence in scripture he says no but but there's just this nagging thing in my heart i said you've got to discard that from your heart that is not a valid view because you can't support it in scripture he says i know i've struggled with it but but god is gracious i said but he's also truthful and he tells us, now is the time to believe. Today is the day of salvation. Not when you get to, to, to stand before Jesus. I mean, who's not going to believe that? Okay, You had all this time in the world while, while you were alive. And you didn't believe. And suddenly you die and now you stand before Jesus Christ. And he says, now you want to believe? I'm, I'm, I'm egging him on. okay, Because <laughs> I didn't like his view. And I wanted him to defend it. He walked away. Go on, I'm really going to have to review that, aren't I? I said, yeah. Because if it's not scriptural, you can't hold it as a doctrine. You can't hold it as a doctrine. It is the faith. The faith in Jesus Christ, the opportunity is now to believe. It doesn't come later. It comes only now. Christ is the example of faith. The example of confidence in God. The most complete model that we have to be put before us is that of the faith of Jesus Christ chapter 11 of hebrews the great hall of faith verse 1 now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen for by it the men of old gained approval by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of god so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible there was nothing god created out of nothing by the word of his mouth God's word is his work. He speaks, it is there. He doesn't need any uh, raw resources uh, to create anything. Ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God created. Okay, And who are these great men and women of faith that we see throughout the Old Testament? Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Sarah, Isaac, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, these are the great, some some of the great examples of men and women of faith who believed what the Lord said and lived their lives in accordance with it. Now, why isn't Jesus mentioned in that passage? That whole chapter, the great hall of faith, didn't Jesus exercise faith? Shouldn't he be listed in the hall of faith? Maybe. All these were imperfect They exercised faith in an imperfect fashion. And we looked at the life of David and the ups and downs that David had. And sometimes he was a great man of faith and sometimes he was just, I I don't know. We'd say he just went brain dead for a moment. And why did he doubt God when he had seen all of this before? And we see Samson, this great man of faith the Lord had communicated him. He had all of this strength. And along comes Delilah. Okay. Who played Delilah? Who was that? Pardon? Yvonne DeCarl. And, and, and Vic, Victor Mature, that was Samson. You know, like I can't get that image out of my mind. Just Victor and, and, and her there, and, and he cuts his hair and he's got nothing. All he had to do was have faith in the Lord. Okay? Sometimes he did, and sometimes he didn't. Okay? None of these were perfect. Jesus Christ, author and perfecter of the faith. His was without sin, a life without sin, a life of complete obedience to his heavenly father. Some translations put the captain of our faith. He is the best of all those who have furnished an example of faith, the only perfect one. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist, reformed Baptist preacher wrote, we are exhorted to look to him, as if at the Isthmian Games, those were the precursor to the Olympic Games that were held right there on the Isthmus of Corinth. As if at the Isthmian Games, there was one who stood before the other racers, who had previously carried away every palm of victory, who had always been triumphant, who had never been defeated, and with whom there was no one who could be compared. That is Jesus Christ. That is the author and perfecter of our faith. Revelation says he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Now, why is this so? Because he has endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. We hardly understand that phrase, "endured the cross, in our society today. Here we have one on the communion table. Okay? It's a wonderful piece of... of, of uh, part of our worship but in the new testament times the cross was something you said with derision crucifixion was a death that was reserved for the very lowest of criminals there were the very worst the traitors to society the scum of the earth were crucified and here we have the author and perfecter of our faith who was put to death in that fashion We might say today that, oh, well, he died in the electric chair, and that brings a certain amount of shame because we knew that then he was a murderer. But that's not the same shame that the New Testament has when it comes to crucifixion. It's as low a death as you could suffer. But he did that because of the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. Now, what is that joy? That was set before Christ? The joy of knowing that he was obedient to the Father. The joy of knowing that what he was doing was securing the salvation for all those whom the Father would give to him. That is the person that we are to look unto. That is the person that we are to fix our eyes on. The person that we should gaze almost with blinders on and care nothing about. The other things that might take our attention, we're to discard those. Because they might hinder us in our growth, in understanding our Heavenly Father and our Savior. Faith, which some of us have been believers since we were just kids. Maybe some of us have been believers just in the last few years. But it is a lifelong thing. It is a race. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, that's referring to all those from chapter 11. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That word race is the agon, the agony race. Now, there are a couple of people here who have run marathons. They understand the agony that it involves of running that distance. In the Isthmian games, there was one race that... Was the result of several deaths every year, and it was the agon, the race of the marathon. Well, for one who runs this type of race, we face temptation, opposition, suffering, ridicule, scorn, torture, abandonment, all the things that Christ faced. Why should we do this? For the prize that is set before us, for the prize that awaits us. Let me give you an example of somebody who did this for the prize that was set before him. Hudson Taylor heard the call to take the gospel to China when he was just a young man. On the five-and-a-half-month journey to China, he faced storms at sea and experienced the miraculous deliverance of our Heavenly Father on several occasions. When he landed at Shanghai, there was a civil war, not the place that you, as a foreigner that you want to be there. There was fire and famine and, and just... Society was in a chaos, but the Lord guided him through all of this and protected him. At the age of 22, he had been on the field in China for eight months. That means he got to China from England when he was 21. And all of a sudden, a few other families show up. And now suddenly this 22-year-old who's in China so far from home, he's responsible for their care as well. Hudson Taylor ministered to the river towns. In, in along the coast, he married a woman there, converted many Chinese through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in June 25th, he decided to make a move inland, and there we have the China Inland Mission. He opened a bank account when he was on furlough in England. He opened it with 10 pounds, $50. He said, this is the corporate account. And he'd hoped to have 24 missionaries over the course of the next two years, Uh, In eight months, he had 200 missionaries who wanted to go with him to China to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Eventually, more than 800 missionaries would follow him to the China Inland Mission. During an especially trying time, when he was in China, Hudson Taylor wrote a letter to his wife. He said, all we have is 25 cents and all the promises of God. We have 25 cents and all the promises of God. What is your faith in? Are you looking upon Jesus Christ and discarding all other things? Those things which would hinder you. Those things which might cause you to put your faith in something which is temporary. You have all the promises of God as a believer. What else is it that you need? Let's pray. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the other things that we need will be added unto us. Lord, we have seen the names of these great men and women in the hall of faith in chapter 11. We've looked at briefly the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who was obedient, the one whom we are called to fix our eyes upon, fix our gaze upon. We would look at no other. We've seen the type of race that we are to run. It's going to be long. It will be difficult. It will be the race of agony. Yet we do it for the prize that is laid before us. The joy of the exaltation of knowing God's promises of glorifying him. All of this because we are looking unto Jesus. We might have more than 25 cents, Lord. But what we are sure of is we have all of your promises. You promise never to leave us or forsake us. You promise to do things that are so far above and beyond what we can dream or imagine. These are the promises for those who walk in faith. These are the promises for those who fix their gaze upon Jesus Christ. These are the promises for those who live by faith, who walk by faith. Lord, we never want to walk stupidly, but we always want to walk by faith. Guide us in what we do that you might be seen, that your glory might be demonstrated, and that the kingdom of Christ would be furthered. And others would know that they may view that they have very little, but as believers... We have all the promises of God. It is in the name of our Lord and Jesus Christ, the one in whom we have faith, that we pray. Amen. On Christ's solid rock, I stand.